Thank you, young men, for taking up the offering, and I appreciate all of you that serve each and every single Sunday, whether you help turn lights on or hand out bulletins or you just help make sure the church is ready for service every single Sunday. I don't want anybody to feel like their service is ignored or forgotten, so we are so grateful for you. And I am grateful that you are here this morning, and hopefully you came in and you've got a Bible with you, something you can open up or something that you can turn on, and if you would find your way to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, and hopefully when you came in, you may have gotten one of these bulletins. On the back of that, there'll be some notes if you want to take notes as we go along through God's Word. I think they probably be behind me on the screen, but if you want to follow along as we study God's Word together, but we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3 this morning. We have been walking verse by verse systematically through the book of Jonah together on a Sunday morning. And so this is just where we left off last Sunday, where we picked up at this morning is just going to be where we are following along through God's Word. I can't really tell you to the validity if it's true for sure or not, but I've heard numerous preachers tell an illustration about Thomas Edison. And you know, if one says it, it's kind of suspect. If two says it, it's probably probable. But if three or four preachers say it, you know it's got to be true. So the story goes like this. Thomas Edison is right there in the middle of the creation of the light bulb. And some of the early prototypes that they had developed were hard to put together. They were tedious to try to craft. And so the one of the um, iterations of the light bulb, there was a whole team of scientists that were tasked with creating this, molding this, putting this together. And so they sit there and it takes hours and hours of tedious time uh, time staking work and they finally get this light bulb all put together ready to test. The problem is that they were there on the first floor. The second floor is where the testing facility was at. And so Thomas Edison hands this light bulb to one of the young men that was one of the apprentices there in the workshop and says, take it to the second floor for testing. Well, as the young man is going his way up the stairs, he gets just about to the top of the stairs and he drops the light bulb. You know the story, the light bulb falls, it breaks all of the hours and the meticulous, tedious work that had got into it was for naught. Thomas Edison quickly looked at the team and says, we need to create a second one. So there they go. Uh, again, all the time, um, all the time invested, all of the, the, the meticulous, tedious work. They finally get the light bulb, a second one done, ready for testing. And as they're watching Thomas Edison, he takes the light bulb and he turns around and hands it to a young man to take it upstairs for testing. And it is the same young man. And as the story goes, the team there with Thomas Edison looks at him and says, what are you doing? And Thomas Edison said, I am the product of second chances. And I believe in giving people second chances. Well, if you go to the Bible, you will see many different characters throughout the pages of the Bible that were recipients of second chances. You go to the book of Exodus and you find Moses that he had killed one of the soldiers there in the army of Egypt. And it was Pharaoh that said, I am going to have my justice on Moses. Moses then ran to the desert. He is on the backside of the desert when he finds the burning bush and God gives him a second chance. It is Peter 
looking at Christ just a few days before he'd be crucified. And when Jesus said, you will all desert me, Peter looks at him and says, oh, they may run away, but when the time comes, I will not abandon you. And yet is the same Peter that is sitting around the fire. And when the servant girl says, weren't you one of his? He said, I do not know him. And then you get later on in the gospel of John and Jesus comes back and he gives Peter a second chance. Here in Jonah chapter 3, we are going to see the story of a man that gets a second chance. Now you may say, well, this might be a good Bible story, Spence. This might be something good for a, a Sunday school story or something good for us to remember. But I want you and I this morning to remember that all of us sitting here, every single nose that is sitting in this room this morning or watching via the screen or listening via the internet, every single person is a recipient of a second chance. Well, you, how do you mean a second chance, preacher? How do you mean that we've all received a second chance? Well, you and I have failed. We have, the Bible says, sin. We have fallen short, and yet God continually gives us another day to serve him. The fact that you woke up this morning, the fact that you got up this morning, the fact that you got yourself here this morning is proof that God gives second chances. So then what do we do with second chances? Well, here in Jonah chapter three, we're gonna be focusing on verse one through verse five because I want you to see with me and I hope that you will see with me that Jonah gives us some examples. He gives us some examples on what we should do when we get the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance. In fact, I am on so many chances, we would have lost count by now. But what do we do when God gives us another chance? Well, if you remember the context of where we're at in the book of Jonah, God came to Jonah in Jonah chapter one and about verse one and says, Jonah, I want you to get up from here and I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to Nineveh and I want you to tell Nineveh about God and the wrath of God that is coming. Well, Jonah decides I'm not doing that. I am actually gonna go in the other direction. He goes down to Joppa. He gets on a boat headed to Tarshish trying to go as far away from Nineveh as possible and on his route, thinking that he was escaping the presence of God, God sends the storm. He brings a havoc upon the sea. The, the sailors there in the boat, they don't know what to do. Jonah says, the only way that you can survive this is if you throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. He's sinking doop, 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 doop down in the water. And here comes that gray fish. Wapom! Swallows him up for three days and three nights. The Bible says he is in the belly of the fish. Some of you might try to think about the whole animation, you know, where you have uh, Pinocchio. And there's a scene in the animation part of Pinocchio where Giuseppe and the cat is on the ship there in the, the belly of this big old giant well and they're in there fishing and then it's this whole scene. Y'all don't watch movies? Cartoon movies? Y'all you know, are too busy watching Buzz Lightyear and some of that garbage. You need to go back to the old, the old classics, okay? But it's this scene. We don't know how it looked. We don't know what Jonah was doing. We don't know if he had a bedroom. We don't know if he had a little study. We don't know what it looked like. All that the Bible says is that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights, and after being in the belly, God got a hold of his mind. Jonah repented, turned back to God. And the Bible says in chapter two and verse 10, after Jonah got right with God, not God getting right with Jonah, after Jonah got right with God, the fish vomited Jonah up on the dry land. I wasn't there. You weren't there. 
The Bible doesn't tell us for certain, but I've heard other Bible teachers talking about this, and they would talk about the acidity of the whale or the big fish's stomach. And they would talk about the stomach juices that would be in there, how they would have a bleaching effect on the person. Now, I'm not there. I, I think sometimes they add this stuff in so they can sound more intelligent than they are, but you can just imagine. Let's just, just, let's just at least agree. You spend three days in the belly of the fish, you don't look the same. You're probably for sure not going to smell the same. And you're probably going to have a completely different personality. So the fish vomits Joseph, or jo not Joseph, Jonah up on the dry land. Well, that's where chapter two ends, and we pick up in chapter three. So here is the setting that I have in my imagination. Now, it doesn't tell us that Jonah was still laying on the beach, drying out, trying to get his bearings about us. It doesn't tell us the location, but here's what I think in my sanctified imagination. He is sitting there on the beach. He just got on dry land. He's trying to clean himself off. He's trying to get his bearings. Where am I at? What's going on? And all of a sudden, here comes the voice of God. And it says in chapter 3 and verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, it doesn't tell us that Jonah was still on the beach. It doesn't tell us he was home. It doesn't tell us where he is at. I can just imagine that wherever Jonah was at, God came a second time and said, all right, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. And this is where we see the first example that Jonah gives us of what do we do when we get a second chance. The first example that he gives us is to listen, to listen. We should be listening. When we get a second chance, we should listen for what God has to tell us in the second chance. We should be listening. God, what do you want me to do? There in verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 3, God comes to Jonah a second time and says... The same thing he said in verse 2 of chapter 1. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Don't miss this. God still had a plan for Jonah. God still had a plan for Jonah. Yes, Jonah had sinned. Yes, Jonah had rebelled. Yes, Jonah had tried to get away from the presence of the Lord. Yes, Jonah had decided he was going to do what he wanted to do, not what God wanted to do. Yes, he had tried to do whatever he could to get out of the will of God. But God still had a plan for Jonah, and God still has a purpose for you. There's not a single set of eyeballs in this room that God does not have a purpose for. Well, Spence, you don't know what I'm engaged in this right now in my season of life. No, I don't. Well, you, Spence, you don't know what I've done in my past. No, I don't. Well, Spence, you don't know of all the wrecks that I've done, all the mistakes that I've made, all the, all the choices that I have chosen that was out of the will of God. No, I don't. But what I do know is that God has a plan and a purpose for every single person. And if God had a plan for Jonah, even after Jonah's rebellion, even after Jonah's sin, even after Jonah's attempt to get away from him, God had a plan still for Jonah. God still has a purpose for you. Now that may, that may require you getting back right with God. That may require you repenting of your sin. That may require you getting back in obedient fellowship with God. That may require you, you doing some work in your life. But I can assure you, based upon the word of God, that God still has a purpose for you. And there in the verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 3, we're reminded that God is still speaking. 
I write these notes up. I don't, I don't wait till this morning service starts and then write these notes up. And we get into prayer time at nine o'clock this morning. And Charles Davis is kind of our, you're not elected. I didn't vote for you. I, I don't know how, I, I guess it's, I, by default maybe, I, I don't know how it works, but he's kind of the ringleader there in that time of prayer that we do on Sunday mornings. And he gets in there and he starts talking about a, a sermon that he was watching this morning from Charles Stanley, uh, something that Charles Stanley said that made Charles think that now Charles is distilling down. And the point that I took from it, it may not be what he said, but what I took from it was, is we need to listen to God. We need to listen to God on our Sunday mornings. We need to listen to God on our Sunday evenings. We need to listen to God. And I hope I'm not misquoting you, brother, but we need to listen to God on Mondays. We need to listen to God on Thursdays. We need to listen to God on Saturdays. We need to listen to God when we're driving. We need to listen to God when we're exercising. Well, not, not all of us exercise, but we need to listen to God all of the time. And it made me start to think. Do you know the voice of the Lord? Hayden Bryan, who came to church here for a period of time, him and I worked together for the same company. When we started working together, when we started working together, one of the first questions he asked me of a morning, he said, what was the voice of the Lord for you this morning? And I thought to myself, what in the world is this guy asking? What is he saying? And what he was asking me was, is when you spend time with the Lord, what is God saying to you? And that's a, th that's, a, that's a phrase, that's a terminology that many of us look like, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what's going on. And then sometimes we let the kookiness of some people like, oh, well, you know what? I got this Morse code message from God and this is what it said. Or I heard this audible voice in some type of different language. No, I'm talking about in your heart. You read God's word and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and gives you instruction, gives you conviction, gives you understanding, gives you wisdom. Do you know what the voice of the Lord sounds like? Jonah, Jonah knew the voice of the Lord. I think, my personal opinion, I think that too many times we fill our lives with so much other noise that we're not listening to God. Well, you mean, is God gonna speak audibly like I am speaking to you? No, he sometimes speaks to our heart. He sometimes speaks through people. He sometimes speaks through his word. He sometimes speaks through teachers. He speaks through a lot of different avenues, but if you're not listening for God, you're not gonna hear what God has to say to you. So shut off fake book and all the rest of the social media and find a time every day that you sit with God and God's word and you listen to him. So much of our prayer time is all set up with you got this whole laundry list of prayers and you come to God and say, all right, God, this is my time to pray. God, I'm gonna ask for da -da -da -da, and we just fall through this line. But where in your prayer time do you sit and listen to God? Well, I don't know because as soon as I sit still, I start to daydream. Absolutely, you know what daydreaming and fidgeting and not being able to sit still is called? Immaturity. There was once upon a time in your life that you didn't like to sit still. There was once upon a time that you didn't know how to be quiet when you're supposed to be quiet. You didn't know how to stay awake when you're supposed to stay awake. And yet in your physical maturity, you learned how to practice these disciplines. Brothers and sisters, it might be that in our spiritual walk, we need to develop the maturity and the discipline to be able to sit and listen to God. So he says, when 
when Jonah gets a second chance here in chapter three, what does Jonah do? Jonah listens to God. God says in verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. So then what happens? God comes, he speaks, Jonah listens, and then notice what happens in verse three. The second example that Jonah gives us is he obeys. He obeys. You listen and you obey. Preacher, isn't it more complicated than that? No, it's not really more complicated than that. Oh, I realize that you want to make it more complicated. That way you can find ways to justify and not do it. But the reality is, is God's word says this and you do this. You listen and you obey. This is what Jonah does. Verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It says Jonah got up and he went to Nineveh. Jonah did not start a study group. He did not take a vote. He did not look at God and say, God, I think I need to pray about this. He didn't say, well, I will put it on my calendar and I will see if I can get to it. He did not say, well, let me find out if uh, that's something that would be feasible. He didn't say, well, as soon as you make this way and pay for this and do this, it says Jonah got up and he went. Now just think about, just think about with me what is before Jonah. When God first originally came to Jonah, Jonah was probably in the middle of the geographical area of what is now modern day Israel. He got up and he went west all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. He then got on a boat and he was going across the Mediterranean Sea. So when the fish comes back and vomits Jonah up on the ground, Jonah is further west than where he started. You may say, why does that matter, Spence? Well, because sometimes, sometimes when you get a second chance and you decide this time I'm going to be obedient, sometimes it might require more effort or sacrifice to get where God wants you to be. So Jonah, wake, Jonah gets out of the fish further west than where he started. Now he's got to travel the same distance that he went from when he was running from God. Now he has to travel that distance and the other 500 miles onto the city of Nineveh. Sometimes you and I think, well, we'll get right with God, but it shouldn't cost us any more. In fact, it should cost us less. Shouldn't God be happy with me and shouldn't he give me a discount? Sometimes God gives you the opportunity for obedience the first time. And when you and I do what we do in trying to be disobedient and trying to be rebellious against him, when it comes around to the second time, the price may be more. So be aware that when Jonah wakes up and he says, I'm going to do what God called him to do, it required more walking. It required more time. It required more energy and effort to do what God told him to do. But notice in verse 3, it says he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. What does that tell us? That tells us that obedience is defined by the authority. Obedience is not defined by you. Obedience is defined by the authority. Well, who is the authority here in the story? The authority in the story is God. The authority in our lives is also God and God's word. So you come to something in your life and you find a question and the world or a person around you says this, but God's word says something else. Who are you going to lead? Who are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to the authority of God's word. You're going to listen to the authority of God. So it says Jonah got up and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He understood. God said, get up and go to Nineveh. So I'm going to get up and go to Nineveh because that is what obedience looks like. But then also notice there when you're looking at there in verse three, he got up and he went to Nineveh. In other words, obedience is action. 
So you listen, you listen to God and you say, all right, God, this is what I'm doing. And that's what Jonah is doing. He's hearing what God has to say. And then God says, I got our eyes, get up and go. And so Jonah gets up and he goes. Yes, it's going to cost Jonah more time. Yes, it's going to be more steps. Yes, it's going to be a longer trip, but he decides to go. And then he understands that when God says go, he is going to go because he is not the one that determines. He is not sitting there looking at God and saying, God, how about I send him a postcard? Can I send him an email? Can I just text him? Maybe I could like shoot a video and do like a Zoom or a Skype call. No, Jonah realizes that obedience is defined by the authority and he realizes that just saying, well, I wish I could go to Nineveh or I mean to go to Nineveh or I should go to Nineveh or I wish I could go to Nineveh. All those things that indicate desire or intention do not match or equal action. You go through those seasons of life and you have those young kids. Right now, Ezra is four. And Ezra will get those toys out and I'll look at Ezra and I'll say, all right, Ezra, it's time to pick up your toys. And he'll, yes, sir, and he'll take off and he'll just be zooming through the house and he, he, he will get this section of toys picked up. And he'll come back and he'll say, Ezra, did you get all your toys picked up? Yes, sir. I said, you get the toys picked up there in the living room. And you kind of see the look on his face like, I could tell him yes and I don't know if it's yes. I could tell him no, and then I could get in trouble for not doing it, so I'm just going to go with yes. So he'll look at me and say, yes, sir. And I said, you picked up all the toys in there. Yes, sir. And I said, what about this toy there? He goes, mm, let me go check. And then he goes off, and he, he beeblops around, and he come back in there, and he'll say, uh, everything's picked up. Is everything picked up? Oh, yes, sir. I said, what about your closet? And he just look at me like, hmm. Let me go check. And then he'll take off. But the idea in his mind is when you say pick up all the toys, obedience looks like picks up the toys he wants to pick up. When as his father, what I mean is, pick up all the toys that are going to be a landmine at 2.30 in the morning. Pick up all the toys that when the lights are off and I'm walking through to make sure that the, the, the children are where the children are supposed to be, that I don't want my pinky toe to grab a hold of one of your G.I. Joe men and that I have a problem with my religion at 2.30 in the morning. So when I think about picking up your toys, I'm thinking about all of them. Obedience is defined by the authority. So what Jonah does is Jonah gets up and he goes as God told him to go and he went. And it says there in verse three, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. So he is headed to this town. He listened to God and then he obeyed God. It's one thing for you and I to hear the word of the Lord in our lives today. It's another thing for you and I to know what God's word says regarding our obedience and our action. But there's another deeper question when you ask, am I obeying God's word? Am I doing what God's word tells me to do? You see, it's easy for you and I to sit back and to read. It's easy for you and I to look and say, you know what? I know what God's word says. Oh, I listened to all the sermon spins. I listened to the preaching on TV. Oh, I've got the Bible and and I've read the Bible. Oh, I do that. But there are so many times there is a disconnect in our lives from listening to obeying. See, we are so overwhelmed and spoiled, frankly, with all the choices that we have in life. You go up there to Bev's. I know it's called Iron Cube, but it used to be called Bev's. You go in there to Bev's and you look at that, that whole cooler there with all the soft drinks and all the cold drinks and there is choices after choices after choices after choices. And we get so used to being able to go and do exactly what we want, how we want, and get it just like we 
want. We get so inundated and overwhelmed with choices that sometimes we come to God and we think it's the same way. Can I get an order of peace, hold the conviction, add satisfaction and money on the side, and may I double size the rest? And we think that we can come and we can choose what Christianity looks like before God. God doesn't give us that option. God simply says, your choice is, are you going to be obedient or not? And every time you and I get to God's word, the question that then comes before us is, are we going to be obedient to God's word or not? It's not just enough to come and to say, well, I went to church this morning. Okay, that's great. That's good. It's not enough to say, well, I watched church this morning. That's great. That's good. Well, I heard, listen to church this morning. Or, or, you know, I got my little devotional and I did my little five-minute devotional this morning. Okay, that's great. That's good. What are you doing in obedience to God's word today? So there's a listening. There's an obeying that Jonah gives us as a second example. But then the third example that we get out of verse five is this. We listen, we obey, and then we believe. Now, believe is not as clearly articulated there in verse five as listen and obey are, but listen to what the Bible then talks about in the story in verse five. It says in the people. So Jonah is going through the city. He's going a three days journey in breath. He goes into the city, verse four. He began to go into the city and going a day's journey. He called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he goes in there and he preaches a eight word sermon hey, 40 days, God's destruction is coming. And look at what it says in verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. So when Jonah goes in there and he is giving us an example, okay, I got a second chance out of the belly of the fish. I got a second chance. I'm gonna listen to God. I'm gonna obey God. But then he believes God. Now you may say, well, he really wasn't believing in God. In fact, when you get down in chapter four, he's gonna say the reason why he didn't wanna go to Nineveh because he knew that God would do it. But going into a hostile place, going into a place that is not your own, going into a place that you do not want to be and going and doing what you have been called to do, it takes some belief, number one, that you are not God. And you may think, well, that's kind of a silly thing to say. Spence, of course, we're not God. No, sometimes we need to remind ourselves that we're not God. There is a God and we aren't him. Sometimes we get in this idea, well, I make the decision. It's my choice. I know what is best for me. I know how I feel. I know how I think. I know what I'm going to do with my life. And we need to remember that we are not God. Jonah did not go into the community because he was God and he was going to save him. He went into Nineveh because he believed there was a God and that God told him to go. Do you believe in God? You might say, well, that's a pretty silly question. Of course I believe in God. Everybody believes, everybody believes in God. No, I don't think everybody does believe in God. I think there's a lot of people that know about God. I think there's a lot of people that know that there is a God. But I think there's a lot of people in this world, more than we realize, that they really do not believe in God. Because if they really believed in God, then they wouldn't do some of the dumb stuff that they're engaged in doing. 
Because they would have a fear for God. They would have a, a humility before God. They would have a, a, an obedience to God. They have a reverence for God. And yet so many times in their life they may say, well, I know there's this God that exists, but they do not believe in God. Jonah is showing us that when you get a second chance, you believe that God is God and you have an opportunity to serve that God. So he goes into Nineveh and he preaches and it says the people of Nineveh believed God. And for you and I here this morning, not only does listening and obeying lead to obedience and belief in God, but we need to understand that we are not God, but that God loves them. Well, who is the them, Spence? The them is the people that aren't you. The them is the people that aren't you. There's a certain amount of belief that God loves them. Jonah goes to Nineveh, a city that is known for their pagan idolatry, a city that is known for all of their worship of false gods, a city that is known not to be a fear of the Jehovah God. He goes into the city and it doesn't, he's not doing it out of his love for them. He's doing it out of God's love for them. You see, sometimes you say, well, you know what? I will tell them about Jesus once I have, once I have a heart for them. Maybe, maybe you should go tell the people about Jesus that God has a heart for. The reason why Jonah was there was not because Jonah said, that is a mission field I want to engage in. He's not there because he said, I have a heart for them. He is there because God loves them. And it could be that God has put you into this church. It could be that God has put you into this community. It could be that God has put you into this place to show you his love for them and to tell you that it doesn't matter how you feel towards them. It doesn't matter what you think about them. It doesn't matter what you have to say about them. It's what God says about them. So many times we don't show our we don't show our walk and our witness to other people because I quite frankly don't like them. It's not easy to befriend them. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't act like me. And when else someone else shows up that's different than me, I think, well, you know what? I really don't know what much about them. We have this rise of the affinity churches where you have these churches that are set aside based upon their outward identity instead of their spiritual identity. And you think, well, if you're one of them, then you go to that church. And if you're one of them, you go to this church. If you want to have a rock concert, you go to this church. If you want to act a certain way, do a certain thing, you go to this and this and this. And we all get divided out. And we forget that God loves them. God loves them. God loves the thousands of people that are within a 10-mile radius of this church. God loves the people that do not know what Baptist means and that do know what Baptist means. God loves the people that have been in church and that haven't been in church. God loves the people that you know that you don't know. God, people, God loves the people that you like and that you don't like. God loves the people that used to come here and don't come here anymore. God loves the ones that go to a different church in town. God loves the ones that have a different opinion than you do. God loves the ones that voted for Biden. He loves the ones that voted for Trump. God loves the ones that got the, got the uh, shot and they didn't get the shot. He loves the ones that has guns and doesn't have guns. He likes all of them. He even likes the ones like Ron that drives a Ford. God loves them. And church, it can be easy for in the life of the church for us to forget that God loves them. 
That we do not do what we do when it comes to the ministry of the church because we necessarily love them. Now, we should love them, and we should love them enough to go and tell them about Jesus. But at the end of the day, the underlying motivation is we go to them because God loves them. And that is part of us believing that if there is a God and I am not God, then therefore when God says, I love them and I want you to go to them, it doesn't matter how I think, it doesn't matter how I feel, it doesn't matter what I like, I go to them because God loves them. And that would change how many times we do ministry. We do ministry for the people that we like. We do ministry for the people that we feel comfortable with. We do ministry for the people that are in our certain affection or affinities. where the mission of the church should be to go minister to people that God loves. So when Jonah is walking into town, Jonah settles some things. I believe that Jonah has settled some things and not only that Jonah wasn't God, he understood after his little mini vacation inside the belly of the fish, he understood that he wasn't God. And he understood the reason why he was going was because God loves the people of Nineveh. And he also realized when he was going, and he's going to say this later on in chapter 4, but he realized that when he was going, the reason, one of the reasons why he didn't want to go, because he understood God still saves. And so when you and I think about what we do with our second chances, we listen to God, we obey God, but then we also believe that what God says is what God will do. We are not God. God loves the people around us, and God still saves people. And what does that mean for our second chances, our third chances, our fourth chances, our fifth chances? What it means is when we look around and we look at God and we say, all right, God, it's not a matter of the people that I know, the people that I like, or the people that I feel comfortable with. It's about the people that you love that you're telling me to go to because I have no idea who you are saving and who you're not saving which means every single person that we can reach into, inside this community. It's not that we're looking around going, well, you know what? They're reachable and they're not reachable. No, I'm going to tell you, if you can go and you can put your eyeballs on them, if you can go and you can, and you can speak to them, they are reachable. I'm not saying that God is going to save every one of them. What I'm saying is you don't know which ones God's working on. And if you and I will not go to Nineveh, you and I will not go to them, even if it's an eight-word sermon. If you and I will not go, then can we really say we believe in God? Because this is the same God that has told the church to go. This is the same God that has sent his son to die for the church. This is the same God that sent his son to die on a cross so that we might be forgiven, so that we might go to heaven. It's the same God that loves us so that we can love them. It's the same God that loves us the same way that God loves them. And if God will love us so much that he sent his only son, then what would God do for them? And this disconnect that we have in the church of the us versus them, and all of a sudden we are the, so the chosen, we are the special, we are the elite because we're here and we ignore the them that God loves, that Jesus died for. We are missing the point of why we are here. We really can't say we believe in God if we don't believe in a God that loves us and them. So Jonah says, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to show you what it looks like to listen. I'm going to show you what it looks like to obey. And then I'm going to show you what it looks like to believe in God. So what is the good news? You look at these first five verses here in chapter three, and you see this example we have from Jonah. But what does this have to do with you and I? I realize that I've already made some application for us personally, but let me just press in a little bit more. Under the good news down there in the bottom of your notes, you say you, you see some blanks there. So the first one is that God gives second chances. That is the good news that I want you to remember this morning. God gives second chances. Not me. 
I'm a fickle person. There's some people that I wouldn't give a second chance for anything. Especially when they cut me off in traffic, you don't get a second chance. You don't get a third chance. You don't get a one and a half chance. You get nothing. But God gives second chances. So anyone in this room, anybody that you know, anybody that you've ever known, know today or know tomorrow, every single person, God gives second chances. That is good news. So when I mess up, when I make a mistake, or when I pull a Jonah and I intentionally rebel against God, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know what I'm doing is sin, and yet I still do it. And then I come to myself and say, hmm, I was wrong. I repent. I confess my sin, and I turn back to God. God gives me another chance. Not only does God give second chances, but the other piece of good news is you have received a second chance. You may say, well, Spence, that's where you started. Yes, but I want you to remember. I want you to remember that you've received a second chance so that maybe, maybe, and I'm preaching to myself here, just maybe we should give other people around us a second chance because we have received a second chance. I grew up with the phrase, there is no lesson learned from the second kick of a mule. And I have used that phrase very often about there is no lesson learned from the second kick of a mule. And that might sound like a little witty thing to say when you're telling with people. It's completely contradictory to the Bible. You're not going to find there is no lesson learned from the second kick of Judas in the Bible. You're not going to find there is no lesson learned by the second kick of Peter in the Bible. You're not going to see anywhere that there's no lesson learned by the second denial of Peter in the Bible or the second nail in the hands of Jesus. You're not going to see this anywhere in Scripture. And yet, in Scripture, it tells us that I am to forgive, 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 and forgive. Right, Miss Carol? I am to realize that I received a second chance so that I can give second chances. But then here's this third one, and it's just one blank. You may go, what, what was supposed to go there? Why? W. H, Y, question mark. Because I want to pose the question to you this morning. Why have you received a second chance? Why have you received a third chance? Why have you received a fourth chance? Why have you received a fifth chance? Why, do God, why does God keep giving you opportunities every single day? Uh, the Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning. Great is your Faithfulness. He tells us that every single day he gives us an opportunity to be faithful to him. Why? So you and I can go home this afternoon and veg. So then you and I can put our Bibles up and we can go home, we can set the Bibles off in the corner and not touch it again until next Sunday morning. So you and I can go out of here and we can have all the kinds of love in our heart in here and then we can go out and we can spew venom and hate and distrust and gossip and anger at the world out there. Why have we been given second chances? Could it be, church, that based upon Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5, we have been given chance, second chances so we can go and tell others about the second chance they can have in Jesus? Why has God given you a second chance? Would you bow your heads with me?